The following message is from Temple Bible Church. For more information about the church and its ministries, visit www.templebiblechurch.org. If you are visiting today, you're our guest, and we're grateful to have you worshiping with us. Uh, following this service, there's a conference room to the right, and we have some folks out there that can tell you a little bit about TBC, our distinctive beliefs, and how you might find a place to serve, a place to be involved in ministry. You may be soccer team is with us. You guys mind standing? We'd like to welcome you to Temple Bible Church, all the guys in the white shirt. There we go. It's good to have you guys this morning. There we go. Super. Pray that you guys have a safe, successful season this year. Coach Bankhead has been part of our body for a number of years and uh, grateful to have you guys. Found the service. You guys are to go out those doors to the, the building in the back and we'll be feeding you some lunch out there. If you're not a soccer player and go to lunch, we're going to kick you out. So uh, be prepared for that. So uh, we love having you guys. How many of you are students returning from college? Would you stand? We got a bunch of college kids with us today uh, coming back. And so we want to welcome you. Go ahead and stand up if you're a college kid. There you go. Do that. We got them over here. Back over here are some. There we go. Back over there. We've been saving those seats for you guys this summer, so it's a good thing you're back, and uh, we welcome you. They were empty most of the summer. I shed a lot of tears while y'all were gone, and uh, now I'm glad you're there. And I'm glad y'all sit on this side. Uh, this eye is not real, so I can see you over there sitting over there. I have no idea. I wouldn't be able to see you at all. So uh, that's what's happening. In the area of ministry, one of the things we have on Sunday mornings, we have uh, about 450 to 500 kids from nursery through fifth, fourth grade only. Nursery through fourth grade, uh, several hundred kids. We need about 150 volunteers per week. Last week we announced it and you met a lot of those needs. You can see there, you received a bulletin when you walked in. Uh, there's a pink insert there. On that pink insert is an opportunity for you to sign up to serve. So maybe you're a college kid looking for a place to serve this fall, or maybe you're a TBC or been here a long time. Great opportunity for you to give back, to minister to our kids uh, at their level. The flip side of that has to do with baptism. Uh, the Creekside building is our new building back there. There's a baptismal being built right now. It'll be an outdoor baptismal. We'll do our first baptism there Sunday, October the 2nd or whatever, yeah, 2nd, the first Sunday there. And you heard the video announcement from Shannon a couple of meetings prior to that, and we would love to have you come and participate. You might ask who should be baptized. If you have come to know Christ recently, and this summer, by God's grace, we've seen over a dozen folks that are Jesus' series profess their faith in Jesus, and you should be shouting glory, hallelujah right now, over a dozen folks coming to faith in Christ. And uh, so if you're a new believer in Christ, or maybe you were baptized before you knew Christ, or maybe you were baptized as an infant that was a display of your parents' faith, now it's an opportunity for you to declare your faith. Uh, we would invite you to do that. We do ask kids to be 12 and older, uh, I'm sorry, 10 years of age and older to participate. All the details are here about the meetings as well. Finally, we host a newcomer's brunch at our home a couple of times a year. And uh, so if you are new to TBC in the last uh, several months, have not been a part of one of those, we would love to join you. Sorry, college guys can't accommodate all of you guys at our house, so doesn't include you. Uh, can't feed that many anyway. But uh, here's the reality. If you are new in the last several months, haven't received one of these in the mail, we sent a bunch out in the mail. Uh, if you'll raise your hand, we'll get you one of these right now. And uh, we ask you to do two things. One is to RSVP because we need to know how many to plan for. Secondly, it's an adult-only event, but we do provide childcare here at church, and we need to know about that. Okay? Bunch of announcements. Things are kicking off. Lots of opportunities to grow and serve. Look in the bulletin. You can respond accordingly. 
We've been doing a series this summer called Jesus Is, and we have filled in that blank week after week after week. Next week, we end that study, our final message, Labor Day weekend, and then we'll start in the book of Galatians. So if you want to read ahead, plan ahead, study ahead, start reading the book of Galatians. We'll be looking at that together. Let's pray. Father, we've worshiped in song. You've touched us, and we're grateful for that. We do abandon ourselves to you. And now as we open the word, would you teach us, would you teach us more about Jesus so we can be more like Jesus? We pray in his name. Amen. Rejection. Rejection is painful. It's painful. Read the story about rejection. I used this uh, a few years back when we did a summer series called House of Cards. It's a story that took place out in West Texas. A story about how a wife rejected her husband. There was a hooded robber that burst into a West Texas bank. He forced the tellers a loaded sack of cash. On the way out, a brave Texas cowboy grabbed his mask, pulled it down, and saw his face. When the, when the cowboy saw his face without a moment's hesitation, the crook shot him dead right on the spot. He looked up and he saw a teller saw his face, and he shot her dead right on the spot. Everybody else's head was buried. Nobody could see his face. And he said, anybody else in here see my face? There was silence. I said, anybody else see my face? A lady with her head down raised her hand and said, I think my husband got a real good look at you. (laughs) The ultimate rejection right there. Rejection is painful. If you've been rejected by a spouse, by a parent, been rejected by your kids, by a family, been rejected by your best friend or roommate, been rejected by a boyfriend or girlfriend or fiance, been rejected by a church and feel rejected by God, talking to you this morning. Our Savior has felt rejection too. In fact, his journey through life on our planet is really a journey of rejection. It's tragic that God would become man, but ultimately experience rejection almost every front. So we begin in Mark chapter 3 when he's rejected first and foremost by his family, rejected by his family. If you read through the Gospels, we come to Mark chapter 3, and it says this in verses 20 and 21. You have it in your Bible or app in front of you. It's also on the screen in front of you. It says, Jesus entered a house, and again a crowd gathered, so that he and his disciples were not even able to eat. When his family heard about this, they were to take charge of him, for they said, he is out of his mind. So Jesus' family has journeyed from Nazareth, which is our hometown, to Capernaum, where Jesus is. It's about a 30-mile journey. And they come not to see his miracles. They come not to hear his teaching. They come not to worship him. They come not to honor him. They come to snatch him, to seize him, to snag him, and to silence him. They want to take Jesus away because if you look at the end of verse 21, they conclude he's crazy. He's out of his mind. They want to put him in a straitjacket and get him out of there. They want to get him to psychiatry as quickly as they can because their conclusion is our brother is gone mad. Now, it says in the first part, it was so, he was so busy, they weren't even able to eat. So uh, if my family was gathered around me and I was so busy I wasn't able to eat, they would think I was crazy too. Something had happened because I always find time to eat. Jesus didn't find that time. He's so busy, he's so involved that his family comes and he says, we've got to take him away. They say, we've got to take him away. Something's not right. A little later on in John chapter 7, it says, even his own brothers did not believe in him. Even his own brothers did not believe in him. So you've got Jesus' family coming from Nazareth to Capernaum. They come from there to grab him, to snag him, to silence him, to take him away. And John's writing say even his own brothers didn't believe in him. Rejection is painful, especially when you're rejected by a family. Some of you know what that is. Your heart's been broken. Your tears soak your pillow every night. You long for reconciliation. Your spouse has traded you in for a younger model. 
Your kids forget you exist. Your grandkids are only pictures in your wallet. Your parents bring you more pain than they bring you joy. Elizabeth Barrett Browning, great British literature writer, married her husband Robert, much to the dismay of her parents, and her parents disowned her. And what you may not know is that uh, after she married her husband, her parents had nothing to do with her at all. So for 10 years, almost every week, she sent them a letter. For 10 years, Elizabeth Barrett Browning would almost, almost every week, without fail, would send her parents a letter. At the end of 10 years, she never heard from a single time, at the end of those 10 years, she received a huge box in the mail. In that box was every single letter she had ever written unopened. 10 years worth of writings. If you were to go to the Baylor campus right now, one of the most beautiful places on that campus is a museum with some of those letters and much of that literature in it. And if you know anything about it, you know that uh, the letters of Elizabeth Barrett Browning became some of the greatest treasures, a treasure trove of letters, if you will, from all of British history. Ten years of writing, never once opening a letter, the pain of rejection by a parent. Some of you know what that means. Some of you can exp- have experienced that. Some of you are experiencing that. If you've experienced rejection from family, Jesus is your fellow sojourner. He experienced that pain of rejection. His brothers denied him. His, his family thought he was crazy. He's out of his mind. His brothers don't believe in him. Now, if it all ended there, we would shake our heads and cluck our tongues and say, how sad. But I want you to fast forward with me three years. Jesus is doing ministry. His ministry is completed. He's crucified. He's resurrected. And he's about to ascend into heaven. He's in Jerusalem with the disciples. And in Acts chapter 1-8, he says this, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world. And so he says, I want you to wait in Jerusalem. I'm about to be ascended. You wait here for the Holy Spirit to come. And when that happens, then you go out and do the business of ministry. And so they're waiting in the upper room. Jesus actually ascends. He goes into heaven. And now the disciples and other people wait in the upper room for the fulfillment of the Holy Spirit coming of Jesus' promise. And we read in, I love this verse, we read in Acts chapter 1. It's one of my favorite verses in the book of Acts and actually in the scriptures because it talks about the brothers of Jesus. It says this, they all together constantly in prayer along with the women and Mary the mother of Jesus and his, whom? What's it say? Brothers. What happened? I mean, what happened? These are the same brothers that thought he was crazy and wanted to cart him off. These are the same brothers that didn't believe in him. What in the world happened between Mark chapter 3, John chapter 7, and Acts chapter 1? What happened was a resurrection. You see, the resurrection changes everything. And when the resurrection happened, even the brothers of Jesus had to conclude he is indeed who he claimed to be. Now, I will submit to you that if anybody could have disproved the resurrection and disproved that crisis who he claimed to be, it was the very brothers who grew up with Jesus. They could have said, hey, let me tell you, our brother's still dead. We know where the tomb is. Our brother's still dead. We're still mourning his death. But they are there in the upper room in Jerusalem waiting for the spirit to come so they can go be witnesses of who their brother was. Also note, as a side note, that Mary was there as well. Mary was there not to be worshipped, but to worship. Mary was there not to be prayed to, but note Mary was there to pray. Mary also had other sons and daughters. Mary was not a perpetual virgin, as some would teach. She eventually had other children besides Jesus. 
And so we esteem her, but we don't worship her. We honor her, but we don't pray to her. The recognition is we see that now Mary is there to worship Jesus, his brothers are there to worship Jesus, and it comes full circle. Those that rejected him now accept him. Early on rejected by family, ultimately accepted by his family because they recognize he was who he claimed to be. Jesus was also rejected by his fellow Jews. He was not only rejected by his family, he was rejected by his fellow Jews. In John chapter 1, John is writing his prologue, and he's looking back on his life with Jesus. He's been one of his disciples for three years. John is known as a beloved disciple. He writes, and you're familiar with these words, beginning in John chapter 1, verse 1, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Note well, he's talking about the preexistence of Christ, that he always was. Christ was in the beginning with God. He always has been. That is going to be significant in a second. A little later on in John chapter 1, John writes these words in verse 14. He came to those that were his own, but his own did not receive him. I like the way the New American Standard puts it. That's the version of the Bible that I use. Many of you use New International and New English. In New American Standard, it says in verse 14 that that, uh, he came, verse 11, I'm sorry, not 14. He came to his own and those who were his own did not receive him. His own were the fellow Jews. He came to the Jewish people and Jewish people rejected him. He, he He came as the Jewish Messiah, as a Jew, to Jews and to the world, but they rejected him. In fact, not only did they reject him, but they wanted to kill him. In John chapter 8, verse 59, it says, At this, they picked up stones to stone him, but Jesus hid himself and slumped away from the temple grounds. Then in John chapter 10, verse 31, it says, Again, Jesus' opponents picked up stones to stone him. Well, you have to ask a question. Why do they want to kill Jesus? I mean, what had he done that was so bad that they would want to take his life? I mean, why did they want to kill Jesus? I've read all of uh, Bill O'Reilly's books, Killing Lincoln, Killing Patton, Killing, uh, who else? Killing Kennedy and Killing Jesus. All good reads, by the way. In Killing Jesus, and he rightfully states, he says the Jewish people wanted Jesus killed. And you can see those two verses there. Why? Well, look at at John chapter 8 for a second. Open your Bibles or turn your apps to John chapter 8. Why did they want to kill Jesus so badly in John chapter 8? Well, in John chapter 8, Jesus is having a dialogue with the Jewish leaders. And in verse 56, it says, Your father Abraham, Jesus is speaking, Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day. He saw it and he was glad. Jesus says, Abraham and I have seen one another. And so you can almost see them putting their hands on their hips and looking at him and saying, You're not even 50 years old and you've seen Abraham? You're not even 50 years old and you are with Abraham? I mean, Abraham had lived millennia before that, thousands of years before that. And Jesus' answer in verse 58 is, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was born, I am. Now, you may not think that's a significant statement. It may sound like a weak statement to you, but if you were a Jew listening to Jesus, you knew that was one of the most significant statements he could make. In fact, uh, I, I've underlined it in my Bible. You can't, can you see my Bible boy back there? Can you see I've underlined it? You can see down here. I've underlined it. If you look at verse 58, I've underlined it. In fact, I've written a verse in the margin over here. So you can underline if you're writing your Bible, underline it, circle it, put a star. The significance of this, he says, Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was born, I am. What's so significant about the statement, I am? 
Well, many, many centuries before, actually thousands of years before, there was a guy named Moses. The Israelites were in bondage in Egypt. And while they're in bondage in Egypt, uh, God tells Moses, you're my man, Moses. I want you to go to Pharaoh and I want you to tell him to let my people go. And Moses said, God, you got the wrong guy. And he came up with five different excuses. One of those excuses was this. Who am I going to say sent me? I'm going to go to Pharaoh. I'm going to say, let my people go. And who am I going to say sent me? In Exodus 3.14, chapter 3, verse 14, that's the verse I've got written in the margin of my Bible. In Exodus chapter 3, verse 14, it says, God's answer to Moses, whom shall I say sent me? God said, Moses, tell them, I am who I am. Who? Pharaoh? I am who I am sent me. I mean, okay, Moses, take him away. What what does that mean? When God made that statement about himself, we sang the song, Yahweh, Yahweh, he's saying Yahweh. That's I am. When he makes that statement, I am, he's saying I am means I always have been, I always will be, and I currently am. I have always existed. I will exist in the future. I exist right now. So when the Jewish leaders look at Jesus and say, um, you, you were around before with Abraham, Jesus says, I am. And he meant, I always have been, I always will be, I am right now, and he's identifying himself with God. Basically, what he's saying is, I'm the same as a father. And you see, because of that, they picked up stones to stone him. You see, he was claiming to be God. They understood that. There are people today that say Jesus never claimed to be God. When you look at John chapter 8 and John chapter 10, make no mistake about it, everybody in the first century knew what Jesus was claiming. That's why they wanted to kill him. If somebody claimed to be God and they were not God, then you had the right as a Jew to kill him because it was blasphemy. They were claiming to be God. And so these men who didn't believe Jesus was who he claimed to be, they pick up stones to kill him. In John chapter 10, same scenario. He's among the Jewish leaders. He's talking about uh, his sheep hear, my sheep hear my voice, verse 27. I know them. They follow me. I give eternal life to them. And then in verse 30, he says, I and the Father are one. I and the Father are one. Jesus is claiming to be God. He says, I and the Father, we're one and the same. We're no different. Basically, Jesus would say it this way in another section. He said, he who has seen me has seen whom? He who has seen me has seen the Father. So Jesus is saying, hey, the Father and I are the same. And so what do they do? The response is verse 31. Again, his Jewish opponents picked up stones to stone him. Basically what happened in both of these scenarios, they recognized Jesus was claiming to be God. And claiming to be God, they recognized if he was not, he deserved to be killed. Jesus claimed to be God. So either he is or he isn't. You have to look at the scriptures. Young people, you have to look at the scriptures. It's a claim he makes. In these, two, in these two sections of God's word, it's very clear. Jesus claims to be God. And so he either is who he claimed to be or he's not. And if he is who he claimed to be, then you've got a decision to make. Will I trust him as Savior or not? Will I accept him or reject him? I love reading survivor stories, especially people who survive at sea, but any type of survivor story, I'm interested in sea survival, especially I've read dozens of books about folks that uh, do it. I've got a sick mind. I know it, but it's pretty fascinating to me. I get really fascinated with the Titanic. The anniversary of seeing the Titanic was about five years ago, and I read three or four books on the Titanic. It's quite an interesting story. One of the stories that comes out of that, the, the company that owned the Titanic was the White Star Lines headquartered in Britain. 
And so after the Titanic sunk, there were a number of British people on the Titanic on that maiden voyage. And they didn't have email, they didn't have text messaging, they didn't have, you know, everything we have today to get information. They couldn't go turn a TV on. So what they did is literally hundreds of folks gathered outside the offices of the white store lines, the owner of the Titanic. And this is what they saw. This is a photograph from that era. Posted on the, you see all these posters that are up on the fence. The, the, the White Star Lines put up a huge board and they put all of these posters up there. And one of the representatives from the White Star Lines, when they would get a name given to them of somebody who had survived or somebody who had perished, they would walk outside. And the poster boards to the left were those who had survived and there are not many on them. All the ones to the right, about six of them, list the names of those who perished. The caption on the top, the caption on the top said, those known to be saved, those known to be lost. And when they got a name, they would go and write it under one category or the other. Those known to be saved, those known to be lost. When I read that book, I thought that describes a spiritual life. That describes every one of us in this room. We're either known to be saved or known to be lost. So if I were to go into my office right now and I were to bring out a marker and I were to go and scribble something on a sheet of paper over here that says known to be saved and over here known to be lost and I've got your name, where would I go and write it? John writes this in 1 John. These things I've written in order that you may know that you have eternal life. You can know for certainty that salvation is yours if you've trusted Christ as your Savior. He's made that promise to us. So I ask you today, are you known to be saved or known to be lost? Jesus was rejected by his family. He was rejected by his fellow Jews. He was rejected by his friends. He was rejected by his friends. If you go to Luke chapter 22, we see two of those friends specifically mentioned. They are disciples of Jesus. The first one is Judas. You're familiar with his story. It's Passover night. The disciples gather in the upper room. The nation of Israel preparing their Passover lambs because Passover is the next day. Jesus is preparing his Passover lamb. It's his son who's in that upper room with his disciples. He's preparing him for the cross that stands before him. Jesus says, there's a traitor in the room. There's somebody that's going to betray me. The disciples look at one another. He said, it's the one who dips with me. Judas is the one who dips. He betrays Christ. So Jesus is rejected by Judas. Then later on in Luke chapter 22, it's a familiar story, a rooster crows. When that rooster crows, Peter and Jesus meet eyes. And when their eyes meet, Peter's head jerks around, he sees Jesus. And when their eyes meet in that moment, in that moment, the Savior utters no words. He doesn't shake his head in disgust. He doesn't lower it in disappointment. He doesn't cluck his tongue with a begrudged, I told you so. But he looks at Peter with sympathy. The scriptures say that Peter went out and he wept bitterly. All the pent-up emotions of the last days of the life of Jesus come flooding into Peter and out through his tears. Scriptures say he wept bitterly. You know what bitter weeping is like? I've done four funerals in the last three weeks. I've heard bitter weeping. When you weep bitterly, you don't control it, it controls you. It's an emotion that you can't get a handle on. It's an emotion that just comes 
pouring out. And rejection can do that. And Peter had rejected the Savior. And I imagine Peter leaves that courtyard where he denied Jesus three times. And when he leaves that courtyard, he he, he throws his hands against a wall. And he says, oh, no, no, God, no. Why did I do this? Why did I do this? How could I turn from him in his hour of greatest need? What, What have I done? How could I have done it? We all have those moments. How could I have done it moments? That's Peter. How could I have done this? And Peter walked away and rejected the Savior. Now, just as the brothers of Jesus rejected him early and then accepted him, likewise with Peter. He rejected Jesus, denied him. But you know what happened in Peter's life in John chapter 21. The disciples are fishing. There's a silhouette of a man on the seashore who's cooking, and they recognize it as Jesus. And Peter jumps into the Sea of Galilee, and he swims to the shore, and where Peter denied Christ three times in a courtyard, three times on a beach, on a seaside beach. Jesus restores Peter. Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? And three times, Peter has the opportunity to say, yes, Lord, yes, Lord, yes, Lord. And the one who had denied Christ and walked away from Christ and rejected Christ is brought back to Christ. And some of you have walked away from Christ. You're living a life on your own right now. You may not have openly said, I reject the Savior, but your life reflects that today. And the Savior says, I want to restore you. I want to restore you. You may be a student. You may be one of the soccer players. You may be the oldest adult in here or somewhere in between. And if you are not walking with Christ, he stands with arms wide open. And he says, I want to restore you. The prodigal can come home today. Jesus was rejected by his family, rejected by his fellow Jews, rejected by his friends, and ultimately he was rejected by his father. Rejected by his father. He said, Gary, what do you mean? When Christ was hanging on the cross, he spoke seven times. The most gut-wrenching cry in all of human history came from the cross at Golgotha. It's when Jesus cried out from the cross these words, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The word forsaken in the Greek language means to abandon. God, why have you abandoned me? In that moment in time, when Jesus spoke those words from the cross, they ricocheted from star to star through star throughout the universe and throughout all the galaxies as angels waited with rapt attention to come to the aid of the troubadour, of the prince, of the the one who is their king. But, But the Father did not sin to rescue him because at that moment, Jesus was bearing the weight of your sin and your sin and your sin, the weight of the sins of the world upon his shoulders. And so the Father, for a moment, turned his back on the Son. Because in his holiness, God the Father could not look at the sins of the world. And Jesus bore that weight. And he looks up into heaven and he says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Scriptures put it this way in 2 Corinthians. Paul writes and he says, He who knew no sin became sin so that we may become the righteousness of God in Jesus Christ. He, he not only saved us from our sins, but infused us with his righteousness so we can live lives that please and honor him. And so he was abandoned. He abandoned him. To, to abandon someone is one of the most difficult, one of the, it's just painful rejection, but he did it for us. There's an author who said this. He said he did for us what he would never do to us. He did for us we would never do to us. What he did for us was abandon his son. But his promise 
to never abandon us. I will never leave you nor desert you. By the way, that author is my favorite author in the whole wide world, my bride. <laughs> Jesus is comforting. Comforting. So you're, how do you get that out of rejection? How do you get that out of rejection? I want you to think through with me why Christ was rejected. Obviously to bear our sins, first and foremost. But secondly, in the book of Hebrews, the author of Hebrews says this, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who is tempted in every way, just as we are, yet without sin. So approach God's throne of grace with confidence so you may receive mercy and find grace in your time of need. So here's what it's telling us. Jesus can empathize with us because he has been through what we have been through. When you go through times of rejection by family, by friends, by others, our Savior has been there. And so he says, turn to me. When you're rejected, let me encourage you, don't return evil for evil. When you're rejected, let me encourage you to walk in forgiveness and not bitterness. And when you're rejected, take that rejection to the cross because you've got a Savior there who knows what it's like to experience what you've experienced. And he wants to bear that for you. From 1849 to 1929, over 200,000 orphans were relocated to the Southwest and the Midwest. These orphans were taken from the East Coast. They were placed on trains called orphan trains. You can Google it up, Google up orphan trains and read about it. I read a great book about it a number of years ago. The orphan trains would leave the East Coast. These were uh, kids who were abandoned by parents. Either one or both parents died and they could no longer be raised there. They were in orphanages. They put them on trains because there were families in the Southwest and Midwest that wanted them. And literally the trains came through Texas. One of the stops was in Westphalia, Oinaville, just east of here. In fact, one of the ladies that attends TBC, Celeste Helsel, her grandmother was adopted off of an orphan train. Stopped in Oinaville, a family adopted her, and she was taken in. Here's the tragedy behind the orphan train. Those trains would stop, families would come, they would inspect the kids. They would look in their teeth to make sure they were all there. They would look at their faces, they would look at their bodies, and they would either accept or reject them. Imagine the pain of being an orphan, looked at and rejected. And then what would happen, sometimes they'd be adopted. There's a great story that Max Licato uses in one of his books, and he talks about a young man named Lee Nailing. Lee Nailing was an orphan on an orphan train. He was the oldest of three brothers, the first stop that was made in Texas. His two brothers were picked by family, but he was not. You talk about rejection. His two brothers were taken away. He wouldn't see them for a number of years. He got back on the train. He went several stops before a family took him. His family took him in. He, he went to their home. They were an older couple. He literally packed his bags that night thinking he would not stay. When he got up the next morning, they fed him dinner and spoke a few words, and he was so tired he fell asleep and went to bed. He was only 10 years old. The next day when he got up, they went down for breakfast, and the first time in his life he smelled something that was unbelievable to him. It was fresh-baked biscuits, which he had never tasted before. He went to the table and he reached for a biscuit and Mr. Nailing stopped and said, son, we talk to the father at this house before we eat. And he said, I heard him talk to this person called a father who I'd never heard about. Like he knew him very well and he wasn't even in the room with us, he writes. And then we got dressed to go to church. It was a Sunday morning. 
And the next thing I know, we stopped at six different houses on the way. And every time we stopped, they would say, this is our son, Lee. We just adopted him yesterday. He's our boy. And he said, never in my life I ever felt it so accepted as on that day. The story goes on. It's a good story. There's eventually a reunion with his brothers. And he says, the nailings taught me what true acceptance was about. They taught me about Jesus accepting me, and I did accept him. And they taught me what a family was about. And I accepted that and have one of my own now. The Father will never reject you if you come to him. Jesus is comforting and Jesus is accepting. And you don't have to worry about being an orphan train ever being rejected by the Savior. Amen? Every summer at TBC, we've done something a little differently. We have uh, brought somebody up to share their story, their testimony. If you hang around Gary long enough, you know, eventually he's going to ask you, would you tell your story? And so uh, we've had now for... 12 consecutive weeks, a different TBC or come up and share their story. So would you welcome uh, my good friend, Jack Jones, to the stage. Jack is going to come and share his story. Jack uh, practiced law for many years in our community. He's now one of our judges here in Belton. He also has the distinction of being just, uh, being older than me. He's much older by uh, two months, actually. So um, our physiques are the same, our ages are the same, and... uh, Gary, I'm not going to say how old we are, but I will say my birthday was yesterday, and I'm now eligible for Social Security. So maybe some of you can figure out what hell Gary is, or will be here in a couple of months. Um, Before I I get started, let me say, and and I've told Gary this before, it's especially uh, pleasing for me to be able to follow immediately the story of the orphan train. Uh, in, in In my job that I have now as a district judge here in Bell County, the one thing that I get to do that is most joyful, maybe the only thing that is completely joyful and pleasant, is the opportunity to make legal what God had created ages ago to complete families through the course of adoption. And I know there are many people here in the room who uh, have been adopted, have adopted children, or may be considering it now. And I tell people when my court, and I can get away with it because it's my court, and what are they going to do, unelect me? Uh, that, uh, that what I'm doing is, and what we're doing, and what they're doing, is symbolized by what God has done for us. You know, in adoption, just like the story that Gary told, the family chooses to make a child a part of their family forever. And I say that's exactly what God has done for us. He has chosen us. He didn't have to. He never had to. He didn't have to create us. But even after he created us, he did not have to choose us to be a part of his family, but yet he has. And what a wonderful thing that is. So those of you who have adopted, I I say, and I say with all sincerity, you're better people than I am, and I love you for it. Now, by the way, before I still get started here, we have some soccer players here. I saw you raise your hand here. You, you, you may not recognize me as I am right now, but now. <laughs> do, 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 do you recognize me now? 
Yes, although I have retired. For many years, I was a soccer referee, and I don't know how many of those yellow cards I wore out. <laughs> now, more seriously, I, I have to admit that when Gary first asked me to uh, tell my story, uh, I was surprised. Because like you, I have been here through the summer and heard the uh, testimonies and the stories of men and women who have shared the, uh, uh, the dramatic and moving stories about their lives or about lives of people that are close to them. And I have to admit that I, while I don't want to go through what most of them have shared, I've been a little bit envious uh, because of how God has worked in their lives in such dramatic and moving ways. And by comparison, I felt like nobody wants to hear my story. It's just dull and boring. But Gary's reminded me that there are valuable messages in everyone's experiences. So here's mine. This morning you've heard that Jesus is rejected well, by God's infinite grace and love. The story of my life is Jack is accepted. Now I'm going to steal Gary's outline and follow it so you can look at your paper there and maybe follow right along then. First of all, I have been accepted by my family. You know, God blessed me. It had nothing, I had nothing to do with it, but God blessed me with an awesome family of loving, godly parents, grandparents, a brother, and for the last 30 years, a wonderful, loving wife. Diane and I have, and I have had two children who are now incredibly mature, wonderful adults. Uh, and I, I can honestly say that my son uh, is my best friend. And I suspect my wife would, if you twisted her arm, would have to admit that our daughter is her best friend as well. And someday, like Gary and Bev, they're going to provide us with perfect grandchildren. <laughs> it hadn't happened yet, but I have a no doubt that it will. Secondly, I am accepted by my fellow Christians. And what, what an incredible blessing it is that we all have to live in this country. It is not a perfect country, but it is a wonderful place. What a blessing to be in this community. And it may not be a perfect community, but it is a wonderful place to live. Places that we can worship freely and we can share our faith freely. Also, what a, what a blessing it is to be a part of the Temple Bible Church family, where each week we are taught, well, more than each week, but we are taught uh, biblical truths, and we're given an opportunity to serve our God here at home and all around the world. Diane and I have been a part of this wonderful family and been blessed to be so for 31 years. I don't think there are many of us around that long, are there, Gary? In fact, Gary and I, I mean, I started back 31 years ago. Gary had hair and nice pants and decent clothes. 
I really don't know what's happened to any of those, but, uh, but his message hasn't changed, and that's what really counts. And we have been accepted here, well, at least up until now. <laughs> that may change. Uh, we've been accepted and given the opportunity to serve in so many ways, uh, and it has meant so much to us and to me. Third, I am accepted by my friends. Uh, God has always surrounded me with incredible friends and people. I grew up here in Temple, went to Temple schools, and it's, it's amazing to me, Gary, that, that uh, after all these years, I, I, some of my dearest, closest friends are those that I knew in my childhood, many of whom are right here at Temple Bible Church. Uh, through my college and law school years and then years as an adult, I have continued to be surrounded by friends that care about me and would be there for me and have been there for me whenever they're needed. Now, there's a special group of friends I want to mention and it's uh, particularly relevant because of the uh, emphasis that uh, Temple Bible Church places on small groups. Seventeen years ago, right after my dad passed away, Gary came to me and suggested that I might consider starting a men's Bible study group. I thought then that he was, must have been mistaken, uh, but he wasn't, and it's the most one, one of the most wonderful things he's ever done because... Uh, the men that uh, have been a part of that group and have been added to that group over those years are truly, truly friends. And we've grown old together, but I wouldn't trade those old guys for anyone on the planet. We truly, truly love each other, and they're true friends. And finally, and most important, I am accepted by my father, our God. Now, as I mentioned earlier, I was raised in a, in a godly Christian home, and so uh, I, I came to know God and came, came to know Christ at an early age. And I can truthfully and thankfully say that he has been there for me and with me through all my life. I felt his presence in times of joy, like my marriage and the birth of my children and their graduation from college, which is understandable. I've also felt his presence in times of sadness and pain, like at the death of my father, a man that I still love dearly and admire and miss and look forward to joining for eternity. What an awesome gift it is to be accepted by the creator of the universe. Now many of you here share my experience of acceptance. And I know you like me are grateful for that even though we may take it for granted. However there's a lot of you here that as Gary has noted you know, that feel rejected and for you, let me end with some words of encouragement. First, if you feel rejected by your family, may I suggest that you should reach out to them. Tell them that you love them, that God loves them, and that you accept them. Now, God doesn't guarantee us that there will be reconciliation when you do that. But I can tell you, 
if you do, amazing things will happen in your life. Second, if you feel rejected by Christians, then my friends, you are in the right place this morning. Because this body and many other churches like TBC are available with open arms to love you and to accept you just as you are. So I suggest that you open your arms and your heart and let us love and accept you today. Third, if you feel rejected by friends, I suspect, first of all, they're probably not really friends in the first place. Certainly not if they've continued to reject you. But again, you're in a good place because you need, you need real friends. And this room and this body is full of people that are your friends, friends you don't even know yet. And if you wish, a great opportunity to get to know those friends and to develop a relationship with them is by joining a small group or by hooking up with a a mentor or someone who can come alongside you and help you in your growth. Uh, Grab Pastor Dave Richardson or one of the other pastors or for that matter anyone that you see here in the church and say, what do I need to do to get hooked into a small group or hook up with someone and they'll help you there and you will find true friendship. Let me also suggest that you, if you feel rejected by your friends, you be a friend. You be a friend. You reach out to your coworkers, to your neighbors, maybe even to strangers, and you share God's love with them. And when you do that, you will find love yourself, and you will find acceptance. And then finally, if you feel rejected by our Father, well, you're not. If you feel that way, it's because you don't really know him. Our God, our Father, loves you more than you can imagine and accepts you just as you are. But it's up to you to accept that love. It's not going to be forced on you. My prayer, my hope, is today that you will, right now, accept that love and you will begin a life of joy and acceptance that so many of us here have found and you will have for the rest of your life and for eternity. We thank you all for allowing me to go on about this and tell my story. And God bless all of you. Thank you, brother. Christ has given his life so you can be accepted for all of eternity. I trust you've done that. Let's stand and be dismissed. Now unto the King, eternally mortal, invisible, the only wise God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen and amen. Lord bless you.